0: You know what will keep you warm in the great white north? A little true crime with your hosts, Megs and Jess. Coming to you live from the car. <laughs> <laughs> in Jesse's closet. One day it'll be a studio.
1: <laughs> Sometimes you have to improvise. This is true. Right? How are you? i'm good how are you good it's been rainy here but i you know what i can't complain we need the weather we need the with the rain so yeah we
0: we need it here too it's it's it is a wee bit dry and it keeps teasing it's like cloudy and windy and then just kidding it's sunny now so it's very
1: unpredictable Well, our next 14-day forecast looks mighty swell in Edmonton. So really, that's our summer. (laughs) The next 14 days is coming up. (laughs) So enjoy it. (laughs) And then it's winter. (laughs) Yes, so I'm very much looking forward to it.
0: (laughs) You got to put that baby oil
1: on while you can. No, 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 not anymore. (laughs) SPF like 60 for this gal. Oh, I know. I hear you. But we had a big week we did what happened megan (laughs) so
0: we officially hit 2500 downloads in just under three months of starting our little podcast which is pretty amazing
1: that is amazing. I remember when we had, like, 30, and I was even thinking, like, who's listening to us besides your dad and my dad? <laughs> and critiquing us every step of the way. <laughs> yeah. Which I think they both said we laughed too much. That so is true. sorry.
0: <laughs> sorry. <clears throat> we're, we're funny Canadian. Okay, prairie sorry, gals. Yes, I know. But we are very serious at times, too, as well. Especially... Like,
1: 2,500 is pretty cool.
0: Yeah. So... Pat on the back to us. And thank you to listening to those of you who listened and continue listening. We appreciate it.
1: It's awesome. I'm very excited. So I hope you continue listening. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> well, hello and welcome to True Crimes in the Great White North. I am your host, Jesse, and this is my fabulous partner in crime. Megan. This episode contains sensitive matters and is recommended for mature audiences only. Listener discretion is advised. As much as we are wannabe amateur detectives and journalists, alas, we are just two prairie girls with a natural curiosity for true crime. We owe a big thank you to the real detectives and journalists who investigate and report these cases. Today's episode is about the Butterbox Babies of Nova Scotia. This story takes place in Chester, Nova Scotia. Chester is a village on the Chester Peninsula, Mahone Bay in Nova Scotia, Canada. Have you been to Nova Scotia? I haven't, but my sister is in Halifax. Oh yes, that's right. Yeah, But it's super locked down, so we can't really visit yet. It's beautiful. The waters around there are perfect for boating, with many boat launch sites around Mahone Bay. As quaint and ideal Chester may appear, it's also known for the ideal maternity home that was in operation from 1928 to 1947. What took place there over the course of those 19 years is unimaginable. The owners were a couple named William and Lila Young. William was a chiropractor and an unordained minister of the Seventh Day Adventist Church. I actually had—I actually looked up what was unordained. So basically, they can't do any legal ceremony like a marriage, but they can go out into the community. Yeah, they can go out into the community and and preach. His wife Lila was a midwife. In February of 1928, the husband and wife decided to open up. life and health sanitarium they advertised it as a place where the sick could get well they they originally worked out of their four bedroom cottage they had very little money to cover the cost of bedding furniture and any really supplies that they needed lila continued to deliver babies and within a year the youngs decided to specialize in maternity and adoption services they realized this is where they made the most money they renamed their business as The ideal maternity home. It was supposed to be a place where unwed mothers could secretly give birth without the harsh judgment of society, of course, at that time. You know, and this is also a time where there was zero to no sex education for people. There was the harsh scrutiny of religion added on top of that. Birth control and abortions were also illegal in Canada. And unwed mothers were shamed and often dis- like completely disowned by their families. It would have been very unlikely that an unwed mother could have found a suitable husband during those times. So the idea of a young unwed mother, which the average age was around 17 years old, could discreetly go away to have a child without anyone finding out was ideal during, during those times. The young girls were often left with no choices. Often they were just forced by their families that this was their only option out. William and Lila Young started advertising in newspapers so that women could find out about this place and promising to shield them from any gossip. The maternity home also offered abortions and the option of adoption, but they couldn't advertise it because, of course, it was illegal. So at that time, you only really found out about it word of mouth. The ideal maternity home came at a price, and it was a hefty price tag to say the least. Payment on arrival was one of the conditions, so they basically had to pay to book their room and their bed in advance. There was an option for married women to give birth as well, and they did receive a discount for being married. An unwed girl was charged around $300 to $500 for maternity services. That's so much in that time. Well, oh yeah. Wow. The bill was often far exceeded that as well because, I mean, if they used diapers, they were charged an additional $12. If, you know, it's like, oh, you use cream? Oh, there's an additional charge. Um, If the baby stayed there past the birth, there was also an additional $2 per week added on top of their bill. Um, if adoption arrangements were m- being made, the mother also had to pay to put her own baby up for adoption, which I've never heard of. And also keeping in mind, so the average wage in 1928 was $8 a week. I was just going to say, how does someone even afford $300 to $500? So to give you an idea with inflation, $500 in 1928 would be around $7,800 today. Wow. So close to $8,000 these young girls would have been charged by Ideal Maternity Home. I mean, that's a lot of money even for even for today's times. I can't
0: imagine spending that's, 8 grand because even the average person today doesn't have 8 grand kicking around just for that.
1: So, well, exactly. If the girls were not able to pay their bills in full, they were often bullied, blackmailed, as well as their families were blackmailed. With the threat of their secret being exposed, many young girls were forced to stay and work off their bill. Some of the girls ended up staying between 5 to 15 (gasps) years, working to pay off their debt. If a baby died, the mother was automatically charged an additional $20 for a funeral that was performed by the handyman. White pine butter boxes that were being used as coffins. So if a baby was going to stay and be boarded until they were old enough to leave, there was an additional $300 charge to the mother. I mean, it's just the costs were just outrageous. If the mother decided to not give birth there, but bring the baby to the ideal maternity home to give up for adoption, that mother was charged $300 for adoption services and she's giving her baby up for adoption. Lila and William made The most money from wealthy adoptive parents, charging an average of eight hundred to a thousand dollars per infant in nineteen thirty. So this price tag increased during World War II, and an average it was an average of five thousand dollars per infant. So today that would be around ninety-five thousand dollars to adopt. So Lila and William banked around $3.5 million from the sale of infants between 1937 and 1947. With inflation, that would be over $18 million. Oh my god. That is absolutely insane. The amount of money they were making, it was insane. Obviously, in 1943, the small four-bedroom cottage the Youngs had owned had grown into like a sprawling mansion with 54 rooms 14 bathrooms, and multiple nurseries. Women said their experiences were very traumatic. Lila was rough and mean with them during labor. She offered no pain medication. She was just trying to deliver the infant as quick as possible. Absolutely no regard for the health and safety of the mothers or the babies. When an infant was born as unmarkable to Lila and William standards such as a visible disability, mixed race, and again, this is their standards, mixed races, birthmarks, those babies were then put on a diet of water and molasses. They obviously did that with the intention of starvation, because those babies would starve to death. And it usually happened quite quickly, within one to two weeks. Many of the mothers didn't even know what was happening. They thought their babies had either already been adopted, or they had been told that they died at birth. Lila and William didn't want them taking up space because on average the Youngs were housing 70 babies a day. A day? Uh Uh-huh. These babies were placed in butter boxes and buried in rows to keep track of how many there were. If there was a short supply of butter boxes, they would keep the deceased infants in a shed outside until more butter boxes became available or they were cremated in an incinerator. On the surface, there is nothing irregular about the way things are run. Listen, you look beneath the surface. They're breaking the law. Step
0: up your inspections. Lila and William Young pioneered the work of child welfare. How many babies do you think are dying in a dump like that?
1: The handyman named Glenn Shatford finally came forward after many years of silence and admitted that he alone buried probably between 100 to 125 babies in a field that was owned by Lila's parents to save money the youngs also decided to cut other costs especially when it came to cleaning the very unsanitary conditions the babies and mothers were living in was swallowed and became dangerous to their health a woman who came by looking to adopt a baby said in the nursery there was up to three babies per crib they were very thin looking they were dirty they were soiled and this woman actually ended up reporting it to the authorities In 1933, Dr. Frank Roy Davis was appointed to the Office of the Public Health. He had started to hear rumors about dead babies and took it upon himself to keep an eye on the ideal maternity home. There had been a young woman by the name of Eva Neforth who had died alongside with her baby at the ideal maternity home. Both the mother and baby's death were caused by negligence and unsanitary conditions. So on March 4th, 1936... Lila and William Young were both charged with two counts of manslaughter, only two be found acquitted on all charges. This not guilty verdict is likely because the Youngs did have the support of many politicians and prominent people in the community. There were many of them who used their adoption services to adopt an infant themselves. This is likely why they had been acquitted. It wasn't until 1945, which is almost a decade after that manslaughter charge, the RCMP were able to find evidence of neglect. Inspectors found squalid conditions, swarming flies, filthy beds, babies that weighed half their weight of what they should be. And these babies were likely the babies that were on a diet of molasses and water. There was an amendment to the Maternity Boarding Housing Act which forced the youngs to apply for a license. When they did, their application was rejected. And the Youngs were charged with eight counts, including practicing medicine without a license, violation of Maternity Boarding House Act. And they were convicted on three counts and fined a measly $150.
0: Wow. Out of their, out of their three and a half million that they made.
1: Yeah, I mean, that was absolutely nothing to them. By 1945, the ideal maternity homes doors were finally shut for good. The Youngs kept trying to advertise lovely babies for adoption and tried to continue with their adoption services. However, in 1946, they were convicted of illegally selling babies to four American couples. Their penalty was $428.90, when in fact they had made $10,000 each from the sale of those four infants. $40,000 from four infants, and they were only charged $428.00. That was their fine. So Lila also filed a lawsuit against a local newspaper because, well, she did not like all the negative media coverage. And by media, really, anything that was in the newspaper. It was bad for her business. The newspaper fought back. During the trial, the pediatricians testified against Lila and testified they saw malnourished infants. They saw unsanitary conditions, fly-filled nurseries, and overcrowded cribs. Some mothers also testified that they had been blackmailed into signing unusual contracts. They were forced to hand over the rights of their child when they couldn't pay their bills. Back then, with adoption, you know, if there was a, a Jewish baby that was born and it was up for adoption, they would try and adopt it to another Jewish family. But Lila and William would just lie. They would just, you know, they would just write in, in, on the birth certificate and say, yes, you know, this child was Jewish. You know, if you wanted a set of twins, they would pick two infants and say, yep, yeah, here's a set of twins for you no way Mm -hmm. the youngs lost the lawsuit against the newspaper and at that time they also lost their business completely their reputation was in tatters and their once booming baby empire was exposed it was truly a house of horrors the maternity home was shut down bankrupt and they had an enormous amount of debt they sold the house and moved to quebec The house was bought and was in the middle of renovations to become a resort hotel when it burned down to the ground in 1967. It was believed that arson was the cause of the fire. I thought this was interesting. William and Lila had three children of their own. Wow. Yeah. William ended up dying from cancer. Lila ended up dying from leukemia in 1967 and William and Lila were never charged with murder for all the deaths of those innocent babies. Wow. hmm There were far more deaths than what was reported. It's an estimated between 800 to 1,500 babies were born at the Ideal Maternity Home between 1928 and 1946. Between 400 to 600 babies actually died there. Because, of course, it's hard to keep track because some of them would have been were cremated. I mean, after the maternity home closed down, other families came forward saying they had come to the home just wanting a safe delivery. Because as we all know, as we know, childbirth, especially back then, had a very high mortality rate for women. So some of the couples were told shortly after birth that their baby had died. But I mean, truly, who knows now, right? Most likely their baby was sold on the on the black market. There was an article published December 3rd, 2016, by CBC News. It was about how Butterbox baby survivors are still searching for their birth families. It's been very difficult for many of them because proper adoption papers were not done. A lot of them were false. Some of the children are older. So, I mean, if, if I mean, just think, if you were born in 1940, that article was published, what, 2016? So they would be about 76 years old. And they're trying to find their birth parents who would probably be around like 93 to 95 years old. I mean, now they would be even older. There is an organization called Survivors of the Ideal Maternity Home, which helps survivors in their research. And there's quite a few people and families who have gotten together. They even had like a survivor's reunion in 1997 where a lot of people got together and they met each other. So this was—I didn't know about this story. Have you ever heard of it? No, no. Do you know what it reminds me of, though? Uh,
0: In in Ireland, with the you know Irish nuns, the Catholic uh, Church—it's called the Magdalene Sisters—and they would essentially do the same thing. They would these girls, you know, would be on farms and things, and they would get pregnant. So the families would send them to these nunneries, and probably the same. I don't know if they were forced to stay there because of payment, but they would end up staying there, and their kids would stay there. And then they would adopt their kids like they're two and three years out from under them and have no idea. There's a movie called Philomena, and it's it's a, a true story based on that exact thing. And that's what this reminds me of, which is so, I don't know, it's just it's extremely disturbing and just so awful for those parents having been told if that was the case, that their babies, their brand new baby, you know, had died. And lo, lo and behold, actually, just kidding, it was adopted. And how do how do you have like and how did those people have children of their own and do that to other other women? That's it, what it, I that
1: it's actually mind blowing. That's what blew my mind too is that they actually had their own children and they still had no no regard for another baby's life. It, I don't know. I just it. Sh-
0: I'm happy the caretaker eventually came forward. I mean, I'm sure that probably had some guilt on him as well.
1: Oh, to have to, for sure.
0: I mean, you're getting paid a job, and it is you know
1: that era, but still... There is, there has been books written about it. There also is a movie, and there's a few documentaries about, But you know, the Butterbox babies. They, there's also some articles called The Ideal Maternity Home. This was definitely a dark chapter in Nova Scotia's history.
0: There's a lot of dark chapters in Nova Scotia. I'm sure we'll dive into more. Yeah. But that was one I've never heard of before, and it's uh, it's very sad and very disturbing.
1: It is very because you think of, I mean how many babies were born over that time period? How many families were affected by that? It's, it's unbelievable. That's really cool. How did you even find
0: this case? That's so interesting. I'd never even heard of it. Research.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know, one of those can't sleep at night, (laughs) fall down a rabbit hole, doing your research. Yeah.
0: Wow. That was really interesting. Thank you. And very, uh, yeah, we'll have to share the information of the yes. support group on our Instagram and,
1: and info. I will do that. So please follow us on Instagram at Great White North Crimes. Follow us on Facebook at True Crimes in the Great White North. If you want to talk to us about a case, please email us at truecrimesgwn@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Thank you for listening.
0: And thanks for helping us reach 2,500 downloads. Yay!
1: Thank you, everyone. Till next time. By coming from this place, you you survived where others didn't.
0: Right, and uh, that's a good feeling because I could be buried in a box somewhere in Nova Scotia.